Okay. Okay, this morning we're going to speak on mocking God. And mocking God, unfortunately, has gone through all of history. And it will be in the final climax in Revelation. Now, mocking God has a different set of repercussions around it than anything I can find in Scripture. So when people are asking me, please help us understand these particular Scriptures, when it comes to mocking God, it does something different. And I thought maybe by looking at the Scriptures on it, we could come up with what exactly is taking place. So we'll look at the context or the concept in the Scripture, because God is a merciful God. And he's always looking for ways to show mercy. I mean, that's something God's doing is he looks for ways to show mercy. But a strange thing happens at the point when he's mocked, especially publicly. So a strange thing takes place when he is mocked publicly. Okay, it's very important that people get this right because when God used his finger and wrote the Ten Commandments, on the third one, he said... Exodus 27, that God's name is never to be taken in vain. So what you're finding out is that God's name is a gift. You know, in accidents, a lot of times when they're listening to the black box of what was said in the last minutes, you'll hear people use God's name in vain. And it makes no sense why they would use it that way when there's so much power in it. So what would you do with the name of God in your life? What does his name look like on your lips? You know, we have a a milder form or a a softer form when we say, oh God, or something like that, and we're not doing it in context of a prayer. We're not doing it in a context of blessing his name. His name is a gift to you. So it's very important that you do not use your God's name to cuss with. That doesn't separate you from the world if you cuss with your God's name. Can you imagine a Muslim cussing with Allah's name? I mean, you can't even draw a cartoon without that problem happening. But yet, the whole world cusses with our God's name. They'll use God's name. They'll use His Son's name, Jesus. You hear people using the name of God. And taking His name in vain is a huge problem. And so, in Exodus 21, after chapter 20, it tells you what happens to a person who curses his family. It says, you must kill your son if he curses his parents. So it lets you know that God, as Father God, that the punishment for an earthly son cursing his family is just take him out and kill him. So you can imagine that cursing a perfect heavenly father is a serious offense. And so I would say this will help you really want to start cussing and cursing. Because God is perfect. He's not done anything that would warrant us to curse his name. So the punishment for cursing God's name is established within one chapter, his name being spoken in vain that the punishment for it is it's worthy of an immediate action, and that's to stone them. So that's how the law set it up. That gives you the understanding of how serious of a thing this is. So if this has ever taken place in your life, I would immediately renounce it. I would bless his name so that no type of cursing comes in on your life because a curse can't come in without a cause, but you gave it a cause.
So his name is a gift to you. In Malachi 3.16, it talks about esteeming his name. He gives you his name as a gift. And in Mark 9.39, Jesus addresses this idea when he says, what do you do with the name? If you do a miracle in my name, you won't be able to soon speak evil of me. It's a whole nother idea in the New Testament. It says his name is a gift to you. You've been given authority in the name of the Lord. When you use it, you want it to come out of you with that authority so you can stop something evil coming against you. The power to stop a storm, the power to stop something evil, that you have the name of Jesus, the ability to cast a demonic spirit off of someone. If you do a miracle in my name, you'll understand the name enough that you won't soon be able to use that name in a foolhardy way, that you won't soon be able to just lightly use the name, or you won't be able to curse with it if you learn the power in the name. So you think of church people, and very few hear a sermon on the power of the name of Jesus. Very few hear a sermon on how important the name of the Lord is. And because they don't learn the name, they revert down to how the heathen look at the name. They use it in an inappropriate way. So I want you to move in your Bible to what happens when you have a gift or a, a prophet or part of the fivefold ministry on the earth. You know, in 2 Kings 2, verse 23, this one kind of always is a scary thing, but Elisha was walking along. So you have a guy that's able to do miracles. Like, his whole life was a span of all these different miracles that he did. But they look upon his appearance, and they see, oh, he's bald. You know, used to where there was hair, there is no hair. So a bunch of teenagers come out, and they start jeering the prophet. Now, this is not just someone doing a miracle, but this is someone that you have as a gift among you that has the name of the Lord upon them. And immediately when they made fun of him, they came out and he, they were going, Hey, look, you bald head. Now, what they were saying was accurate. It was factual. But what happened is when they made fun of the bald head that she bears, came out of the woods and ate the boys. <laughs> so not only does God defend his name up in heaven, but God defended his name, or his name is defended, let's put it that way, on earth in people that are the servants of the Lord. So his name was defended. Now, the she-bears were appointed by something to go and eat the boys who were yelling, you bald head, you bald head. So there's no respect for someone that carries the name. So when you feel that, I don't know what you would call it, reverence or a little bit of what I'd call godly fear on someone that you're just not going to speak evil of them, like there's a catch in your spirit, it could be the Lord protecting you because you're not reverencing flesh and blood. You're not reverencing the fact that he might have a some kind of gene in his body that <laughs> ditches his hair for him at a, a young age or whatever happens. You reverence the fact that that vessel carries around the name of the Lord. So what's being established here is how important the name is and that the standard of judgment for misuse of the name is very swift. And that's what I wanted to ask you about under mocking God. Why so swift? There's lots of sins that men do. 
under heaven there is so much evil in the heart of man why is this such a swift retribution and you see it through scripture and especially if you're working on a book on the fatherhood of god and how merciful he is these scriptures stand as unique against the palette of all the other scriptures in the bible so that's why i wanted to highlight these today so in zephaniah 2:10, you see that zephaniah predicted the downfall of moab and ammon but I want you to listen to how he said that it was going to come about. He said, this is what they will get in return for their pride. For insulting and mocking the people of the Lord Almighty. So the downfall of these people came from cursing God's people. So people that have an anti-Jewish view or do not appreciate God's chosen people immediately there were repercussions on their life because they mocked them and they insulted them. And there are people that are very hard-hearted with the Jewish race. They have no respect that God has chosen that as a people group. They take no time to pray for them. They make fun of how they are in all different fields, you know, like they'll make all kinds of jokes. Now there's one thing to be close with the Jewish people and all of them have a good laugh at some of the cute things that they do or some of the unique things that you find among Jewish people. But this is different. This is where there's something in your heart. And so if you move it on into the New Testament, we've been grafted into the chosen people, and we are a part of them. This is not replacement. This is a, an ability to be put into the chosen group. And so we, of all people, have to have a healthy respect of the people that gave us the book. <laughs> the fathers in the faith, the Messiah, because of the fact that we're a part of them. And we carry this on us too, that if people publicly do something against God's chosen people because we carry the name even as a group, it causes nations to fall. It causes people groups to fall. Some people may be very angry that their whole community went down, but they may have lifted up themselves in pride against the people of God. It's not a smart thing to do to go against believers. It puts you in a realm that is very odd in the Bible because it's a very swift judgment. It's not something that, you know, justice delayed is not justice denied. You know, most of the time, justice is something that happens at the end of our lives. Otherwise, everybody'd be dead. You know, so it gives us plenty of time to repent. It gives us plenty of times to get it right with the Lord. But mocking God is something very odd. And it's something that we will take, and I'll see if you agree with me of what it comes down to. Okay, another thing is scoffing. Scoffing and mocking. Jeremiah 17, 15 through 16, Jeremiah's complaining. He says, people scoff at me and say, what is this message from the Lord you talk about? Why don't your predictions come true? Now, you don't think of a prophet saying these type of things to the Lord, but Jeremiah, he processes it out loud. He was like, this is rough being a prophet. And he goes, they're really making a lot of fun of me saying that my predictions aren't coming through. And it's a little bit nerve-wracking in the Old Testament for your predictions not to come through because that had a, a stiff punishment as well. So uh, you don't, you don't want to be known as the prophet who prophesies and their predictions don't come true. And notice how uh, Jeremiah pleads his case. He says, Lord, I have not abandoned my job as a shepherd of these people. 
the prophet inside of himself goes through a lot because what moves his spirit is I'm shepherding a bunch of people that are rebellious. I'm shepherding people that don't want to hear what I have to say. They're not praying for me to hear better. They're not praying for me to guide their life. The minute they think it's wrong, they snap out and say, well, look, your predictions aren't coming through. It's more of a test. It's more of a, let's put you to the test. Wouldn't it be different if we actually prayed for the people that were gifts among us? Where we actually ask the Lord, hey, help them to hear. I pray that the office that you have that is an overseer or a watchman, that you have the best ability to hear under pressure, that you can hear the details. But Jeremiah says, I've not abandoned it. Even though they say to me, what is that message from the Lord you talk about? He says, I have not urged you to send disaster. You have heard everything I've said. And this is that verse of where if God does call you into shepherding people or pastoring, they will hurt you. You can't get into changing your heart and asking that they be squashed. <laughs> you can't ask that something fatal happens to these people that you are called to minister to. Jeremiah saying, and not one word has been spoken against them. You've heard everything I've said. There's not even a word where I've even began to treat them the way that they're treating me. And if you ever have gotten a chance to know someone that operates in this gift, you'll see that there's a lot of this going on. This kind of stuff happening inside of your prophet actually makes it harder for you. Because he's having to work out so many things inside of himself emotionally and in his humanity in order to have his gift flow through him. So you see that, you know, Elisha with his bald head, Jeremiah with his, you know, his sensitivity and his spirit, that it made their gift as a prophet much more difficult. So anyway, I would say that this is a dangerous area or it's, it's a fenced-in area of not to bring that kind of abuse towards someone that is actually been put over you. Hebrews tells you, if you'll pray for them, if you'll bless them, if you'll do good to them, it's actually good for you. For the person that is accountable for you, just think, who is it I call if something really bad happens to me? Then pray for that person. And I would say, you're treating them good because of the name of the Lord being in them. And that's why you feel that little bit of a hesitancy to just say everything that comes across your mind about them. That's why you see that sometimes that you feel towards them is actually your flesh. He's growling. He doesn't want to die. And he knows the flesh is feeling like this person's going to make me uncomfortable. This person's going to make me do something I don't want to do. This person's not always right. Surely not. And you feel that, and it growls. And I always would look at Brother Jacob, I'd see cat claws across him. You know, he'd have cat claws across his face because I'd watch him. Mm, that didn't go down too well with him, Brother Jacob. I mean, you put it down and they spit it right back up like a baby. And that's where somebody who really is, you know, what I'd call an armor bearer to him or a prayer partner or someone that stirs the strong, that that's when you can help that prophet have the honor that they need so that that person gets a chance. Because the sooner that they get it right with God, the better it's going to go. Now, we're moving into a realm that is even different than this. And I apologize for our younger ones because this is a very heavy subject and God is a very good God. And He's a Father and He's not hurting you and He's not harming you. 
But this is something that has to be addressed, especially in the times that we live in where there's a lot of mockery and scorning and all kinds of things going on as a society that treating God with respect is not the same. People don't treat the things of God or the people of God with the respect that they once did. There's not a fear of the Lord in the land. So I'm doing a merciful thing to you to tell you it needs to be guarded so that you get the blessing out of it. But what we're moving into is something that I think kind of ramps it up, and that's a public mocking. When it's done publicly, it is more of a dare. It is more of a, it puts it on display in a way that nothing else does. So in 2 Chronicles 32, 17 through 23, I would say that in the case of a public mocking, that is something that is of utmost danger. And it says the king also wrote letters ridiculing the Lord, the God of Israel, saying this against him. Just as the gods of the people of the other lands did not rescue their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not rescue his people from my hand. So I get tickled at it. Can you imagine if people that are heathen look at you and say, well, the God of Samantha, the God of... And they name your name because you're associated with your God. Like Yahweh God did not stand alone here. He was known as the God of Hezekiah. That's the God that Hezekiah serves over here. And Hezekiah, don't think your God's special. I have wiped out all kinds of peoples that have thought that their God could save them. And he started mocking and ridiculing the Lord, saying, just as these other gods, I will destroy these people. They cannot be rescued from my hand. And, you know, the writer here loves telling this story. And then they called out in Hebrew to the people of Israel who were on the wall to terrify them and make them afraid in order to capture the city. So they took their native language of the Assyrians and they started speaking to them in their language of Hebrew to make sure the general population knew we're going to get you. In other words, they quit speaking Chinese and they let you know in English, this is what we're going to do to you. It made the people afraid. And they spoke about the God of Jerusalem as they did about the other gods of the other peoples of the world and the work of human hands. But King Hezekiah, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, cried out. They cried out. They cried out. We've heard about crying out. Someone ridicules, someone mocks, someone says, God's not going to be able to take care of you nor rescue you. The, the remnant's not going to be taken care of. And they cried out in prayer to heaven about this. And the Lord sent an angel who annihilated all the fighting men and the commanders and the officers in the camp of the Assyrian king. It was a wipeout. The Lord sent one angel who wiped out all the soldiers, all the commanders, all the officers. So he withdrew to his own land in disgrace. When he went into the temple of his God, some of his sons, his own flesh and blood, cut him down with a sword. So he was not even safe among his own people. It wasn't the Israelis that killed him. It wasn't the Israelites 
but his own sons, the demonic structure around this guy who had mocked him, he was actually killed by his own sons. This is the worst humiliation. This is where you're just run to see your own sons coming at you to kill you in your own flesh and blood. But the Bible goes on to say, So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem from the hand of king of Assyria and from all the hands of the others. And he took care of them on every side. And many brought offerings to Jerusalem for the Lord and very valuable gifts for Hezekiah, king of Judah. For then on he was highly regarded among the nations. So this set a standard for Hezekiah that his God was different. You see Hezekiah's having cried out, but you see someone that publicly goes to the trouble to mock you and then says, I'm going to make sure it's translated so all your people will know how humiliated you are. It actually turns back on top of them. So I'm going to say these people that have this hardness in their heart, it's very dangerous. Now Jesus addresses an unusual type of person in Luke 18.1 and he ties this into the end. He talks about this guy that's in authority. He's a judge. It says he has no fear of God, nor does he have a fear of man. And so when people ask me about the fear of God, I would tell them Jesus thinks it should be something in a person. I mean, this verse lets you know that fear of God, I've heard, is that's an Old Testament concept. You know, we sit in his lap in the New Testament. <laughs> but Jesus takes a different approach to it, and he says there's a man, and he doesn't fear God, nor does he fear man. And so you see Jesus backing up the fact that when you really, 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 really respect somebody, there is a healthy fear. There is something that says, I'm not going to cross this certain line. I think of some strong people in my life, and I would say there was nothing I couldn't say or do or be accepted and loved by them, but there was this line <laughs> that I didn't cross. There was this certain place I didn't go. I didn't treat them the same as I treated every other people in my life. They weren't secular to me. They had something very special about them, and so I reverenced that line of respect. So God has to deal with people who mock him. I like the idea that Jesus tells us this here, that Jesus gives us an idea of what to do with a person like this when they give us no options. Like this person thinks they hold the authority over your life. They're the one that put the justice out to the people. Their word stands. They're the judge. So what the judge says goes. And you have no options. But Jesus actually tells you something you can do to be able to get this person to do the right thing. Even though they don't fear God and they don't fear man, there's a way to deal with them. Now you all know what Jesus recommended here that you must do to someone that's hard-hearted. It's an unusual tactic. What does he tell us? What's the option he lays on the table for you? That's in one passage of a Christian who sins. What do you do to the guy here that doesn't fear God? So you can get justice. Pester him. You bug the snot out of them. That's your option. You just keep going to them until they get tired of you. And they finally break down and do what you say. 
I think that's very unique. It doesn't say lose your temper, lose your patience, go kill them. It says bug them. Use up their time. Make their life miserable. <laughs> Jesus says keep going to them and they'll eventually give you what you need. You know, I've heard people mock and they said, well, God, I heard this said. Well, God didn't come through for our vacation, so we won't be going anywhere next week. To me, it sounds like you still got a week. Do you have little subtle thoughts? God didn't come through, so I made other plans. God didn't provide. Mocking brings something very dangerous. This is like the guy who has no fear of God. I don't hear you, or within the words that these people said, I don't hear any thing of saying, did I cause a roadblock? Is there a clog? Have I done something, Lord? What is it I need to do to be under an open windows or heaven? You know, to bring yourself to the table and ask the Lord, well, I know you're full of mercy and grace and power and strength. What can I do to align myself more with your will, with your power? Was I out in a place I didn't need to be? Was I in a place of hard-heartedness? Lord, I, I want to align myself right. Now, in this introspection, you need to make sure that your heart has a fear of God in it. And that you have a fear of man. You know, I've done ten lessons on don't fear men. But there is a fear of man that should be there, and that's respect them because in the way that God respects a man. Like when I'm dealing with someone, I realize I'm dealing with someone holy. Like we laugh about our banana room where I take you and the injustice of God falls upon your life and we meet Jesus in there and all kinds of good things happen. But I'm working with you out of respect. Because I know God is doing something with you. It's holy ground. And so I help you get the unholy out. And so there is a fear of man in that regard that I just don't treat you with my whims or any way that I want to treat you. I realize, like Jeremiah says, Lord, I will give account for this person. I'm shepherding your people. I still have my heart on them. Now, we move into something that's a doozy of a scripture because we move it to the book of Acts. And by talking about this particular one, it opens up the thing of once Jesus came on the earth, and he died, and he was resurrected. All of theology changed. Like we saw the tenderness side of God. We saw the personal side. We realized that, that God wasn't just this God up in heaven that, yeah, the terror and the awe, and only Moses gets to go up and spend time with him. We suddenly realized that Jesus made him personal with us, and he said, your father. And in that context of a new understanding, we have one story like this. And people have oftentimes asked me, how do you explain this one story? Well, I'm doing it. Other than having taught this one time in the prisons, <laughs> because I didn't want the mocking of God to go on there, and I didn't want my guys to get in trouble. I've never taught this in a lesson for our group. So, in Acts 12, 21, we'll look at a very shocking story. But it says, on an appointed day. And when the Bible says, on an appointed day, we're talking about a specific day that 
Herod had laid out. So you've got the Herods of the Bible. And he put on his royal apparel. And he took a seat on the rostrum. And he began delivering an address to them. So you have Herod and you see it was a, a special day. It was an appointed day for this. He's dressed up for this moment. He sits down on his important seat with his important clothes, and he's given an important speech. <laughs> but it doesn't go well for him. Because, in fact, in some ways you could say it went too well for him, and he wasn't prepared for success. But what happened was the people repeatedly cried out. So they look up at this guy, and they're pleased with their ruler. And this is where it goes down bad. This is where it goes down. It really goes down here. But they scream out to him, the voice of a God and not that of a man. Like, you're speaking to us. This is the voice of a God. This is not the voice of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God glory. And that's bad enough. You can put a period there. But it says, and he was eaten by worms and died. Usually the worms come later, but these worms came very quickly. What does that mean? They saw him immediately eaten by worms. And then he died. How can you be responsible for what other people say about you? You know, Jesus said, don't let other people call you this or this or that. And so sometimes you have to push back. You know, Paul came across this where... They said, oh, he's a murderer. He wouldn't have been bit by the snake. And then when he shakes the snake off, and they go, oh, he's, he's God. <laughs> because it didn't kill him. Well, you see this, that you're actually responsible about what people say about you. Enough that you get eaten. You know, it'd make more sense if everybody died that was saying that. But instead, it's the person who it was said about. It's a dangerous area when you don't call this kind of praise off. I'll tell you how strong Paul did it. He tore his clothes. He grabbed his clothes, and, and when they said that about Paul on that island, he just ripped his clothing. Gods don't rip their clothing. So Herod should have ripped those clothes. I'm going to let you hear a little bit from historian at the time of him telling this event. But Herod Agrippa I, death, was told by Josephus. And Josephus puts this to it. He said he was clad in a garment and it was worn, it was woven completely of silver. So when they make an issue out of his royal apparel, what's unique is he was clad with something that had the silver actually woven into it. So that its texture was indeed wondrous. And he entered the theater at daybreak. And when the sun hit him, he lit up. It makes sense that it was an appointed day and he put on that apparel and it was just at the right moment he knew he would flash. <laughs> he knew he would dazzle. And so that's why they cried out. I mean, they looked up there and wow, a blinding piece of light. This is, this is super what's happening. And so it was wondrous and suddenly the people were just caught up in the awe of it. You see people of rock stars and stuff, and they want that punch of, 
where they dazzle the lights, the smoke. And they put the attention on their flesh. And he said that they said, the crowd cheered. If we feared you as a man, now we agree you're more than a mortal in your being. So the voice of a God and not of a man. If we feared you as a man, now we agree you're more than just a human. You are more than a mortal in your being. Well, immediately the repercussions came on Herod when they did this. You can imagine what that did to people in the book of Acts. It put a holy fear on you to see that somebody struck down in the midst of standing up there as a God. So, this is where I came to this question. Why? You know, I've worked a long time saying that God doesn't do these kind of things to people. So I'm going to give you a few choices. These are some scriptures that I've been asked to deal with in writing books on understanding the character of God. But I'm going to give you one more modern day example to say perhaps it's a similar thing as this, but you know, Dr. Dobson pointed out John Lennon had a similar fate when he said in 1966 in an interview with a magazine he was, you know, with the Beatles. Now, what's interesting about the Beatles, they shifted the culture of America when they came here. And even Elvis Presley asked that he could go see the President of the United States. And he told the president, can I help you with this? Because he said, they're bringing something into America that doesn't need to come. And Nixon and Elvis spoke about it for quite some time. Elvis showed up at the gate, and he wrote a note, and he sent a gift. I think he gave him a gun. And he told Nixon, he said, I don't like what's coming on America with the Beatles. He said, it's doing something. So you can sometimes feel these spirits that come on a generation. And if they were concerned about the Beatles then, can you imagine what music has done now? So in your music, especially I'd say you have to glorify God. I would not have music that doesn't glorify God because it's a dangerous thing because music takes you to a place inside of you different than even spoken words. Even though should I whisper in your ear, and it goes, it goes to the innermost parts of your body if I whisper. Music goes to a place that nothing else goes to. And so this guy who had that power over the people, the John Lennon had a similar fate when in 1966, these are his words, Christianity will go, it will vanish and shrink. I needn't argue about that. I'm right and I'll be proved right. We are more popular than Jesus Christ now. It didn't go well for Lennon. He didn't give God glory. He didn't see himself as an instrument of God. He had a different spirit. And if you're, as a Christian, allowing a different spirit into you, then you're making it very difficult for getting you out of the enemy's clutches. This is the way it was said in another place. It, it was quoted, Christianity will end. It will disappear. I do not argue about that. I am certain Jesus was okay, but his subjects were too simple. Today, we are more famous than him. So, Lenin was the first one to go. 
He was mowed down by a psychopath in New York City. He was shot six times. Public mockings. If you'll read different places, there are many stories of people that mock God, and this immediately happened to them. That's why I'm saying there's different standards for public people that mock God and pastors. It puts them in a realm that's different. And so regardless of how famous or important they are, something immediately takes place in the spirit realm. I'm going to give you two choices of what I think happens because I'm going to stick to the fact that God is incredibly good. He shows mercy. We are living in a time of so much grace. He's pulling for you to repent, to renounce, to be fully His. He has good things for you. He doesn't twist things. He doesn't switch a, a stone for when you're expecting bread. He doesn't give you a snake or a scorpion. God is ultimately good. But is he sensitive? <laughs> so when his name is just a little messed up, just wham, he slaps you? I don't think so. I think two things take place. These are my choices. First, you could probably guess this one. Galatians 6, 7. I'd never really read ahead of this verse, but so I'll be more in context with this verse than usual of when we quote it. We usually quote, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. So we're talking on mocking. Don't be deceived. Don't get into deception. When the Bible tells you don't be deceived, this is something, there's deception around. God cannot be mocked. But before that, it says, nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. That funny. That's the context. That wherever you get your discipleship, share you the good. And then Paul puts this thing. Wham! Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. Like, let it flow. For what a man sows, a man will reap. So what I think takes place is I think it's a sowing and reaping issue that takes place. If you sin evil against a holy God, there's plenty of hands that go up so it never strikes God. Like there has never been any type of evil on earth that's been able to penetrate through and strike God. He's never been, whoo, a missile came through and I got hit in the hand. It didn't happen. I mean, it's foolishness to even think such a thing. But the evil has to go somewhere. So the shields go up because it's holiness. It's light. It can't penetrate. So when the shields go up and you throw your evil against God, it turns and it comes right back on your head. It boomerangs. It is the original Australian concept of the boomerang. You sow it and you immediately reap it. And if you do it with defiance and put a microphone to it, it is quick. So if you're in front of your football team or if you're in front of your people and you, out of pride, just let it go about God, I would tell everyone, hit your knees. I mean, if someone's GD, I might go to my knees and just on the spot ask for their forgiveness. It's serious. So I would say that he's telling you that there's a movement, a shift between 
the one who feeds and the one who's fed. That the goodness needs to flow. Don't think that God's mocked because it protects him and them. That if you sow it, you reap it quick. And Herod set himself up to be as God. And he didn't have what it took in the realm of shields and bodyguards to withstand what takes place in that realm. The realm of God is a realm that humans, unless we have the power of the Holy Spirit on us, we dare not go on that mountain that Moses went up. It's enough to change the way that our face is. Our skin actually gets set on fire. I mean, Jesus didn't take all his disciples up, and they actually glowed. So it's very unique around the glory of God. Don't curse the glory of God. It is holy. Now I'm going to give you another option. So besides it being a law of sowing and reaping, it may be this simple. Because it's very clearly in the story in Acts 12. What happened? What struck him? What does it say specifically struck him? An angel. It, it doesn't say God reached down and snorted and he blew off the podium. It doesn't. Let me give you a verse about your angels. Exodus 23, 21. Listen to this verse. If you do not think this is funny. My mother gave me this verse years and years ago when she taught on good angels. Good angels have a bad attitude. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. We won't name anyone in our group that reminds you of having an attitude, but <laughs> angels have an attitude. And notice the words it says in Exodus 23:21. It says, pay attention. So it's telling you, yay, you have a guardian angel. Yay, you're protected. Yay, God has given you this unseen defense system. Like, only the rich people truly have a bodyguard. You've got bodyguards. So, it tells you, pay attention to him and listen to what your angel says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion. Since my name is in him. Don't rebel against him. He won't forgive it. Do you know what this says in curriculum terms? Angels are about on dear level. <laughs> they don't feel that wonderful feeling. <laughs> They're not Jeremiah saying, I've not done anything to pay these people back. They're not saying, as God, I have a shepherd's heart. I'm telling you, the angels are saying, we're up in heaven every day blessing God and saying, holy, holy, holy. And this little whippersnapper did it. I'll kill him before God... It could be. It's an option. That they just, the angels go, whoo, no protection for you. John Lennon, there was a certain amount of grace being in a Christian country, a certain amount of grace on people, but I'll get a real demonic one and they don't have the grace on them. It's a possibility. So if you've ever looked through the stories in the Bible, there are many stories of people mocking God. And that regardless of how high and mighty they are with in the people groups, it doesn't go well for them when they get into the realm of the spiritual, the invisible. You have to approach that with your heart. Like, to be accepted in the presence of God, it says, come boldly before Him with confidence, knowing that He'll give you mercy before His throne of grace. 
Don't approach him wrongly. I don't think cursing God is the right way in. I don't think trying to take God's place is the right way in. I just would say I wouldn't try that. I don't care how much we're under grace. I would approach him boldly and confidently, knowing who God is, and me want to line up with that. So, the blasphemy that starts taking place on the earth is building, and people aren't getting it. And it's awakening something that's coming all over the earth where the evil is going up and coming back down. That's why this verse is a little bit hard for me to explain to people in two seconds, because you've got to see overall how the name of the Lord is to be taken. So the blasphemy, as Jesus describes blasphemy, is in Matthew 12, 27, 31, 32. And it's a context. And to me, it's kind of scary what he calls blasphemy. Because it's not blasphemy. It's not, you know, you, you know what God's taking God's name in vain is. Taking God's name in vain is where God so loves his people, he's doing everything he can possibly do to get them saved. And God tells you to love and forgive your enemy. But you put yourself in the place of God. And you say, God, I'm telling you to damn this person to eternity without you. That's what you just said. Don't you get it? So you're putting yourself in God's place and doing what God wouldn't do. That's what using his name in vain is. That God so loved that person that he sent what mattered the most to him, what he loved the most, to save them. And you're arrogant and proud for enough to throw it around, damning people, dogs, anything that gets in your way, your frustration, your self-pride. And you're going to stand before God and defend all the times you've used his holy name to damn someone when he doesn't use it that way? For God so loved, he came to save, and you came to damn. Then he would say, you're not on my team. Depart from me. It's serious. Because a person with the Holy Spirit in them can't damn. It's not in them. If you've been saved by grace, how can you not care if they're not saved? You should be on your face praying for that person. You should be crying out for mercy. You should say, God has forgiven me this million dollar debt. I must forgive them this hundred dollars they owe me. And cry out for them. But instead, you damn their eternity. And God says it takes your eternity away. And it immediately puts you in their place. Because you don't take your substitute and you don't take it and freely give it to someone else. Serious. Another context, the damning, but the context of blasphemy is Jesus said when they were saying, you cast out demons by Satan, it's a work of the devil. He says, wow, you're saying that God does what he does by the power of the devil. And every single time Jesus talks about this blasphemy where he names the list. He talks about it in this context of someone accusing him of doing it by the power of Satan. So I would say don't call someone a false prophet quickly. Don't say that they have a spirit of deception in them quickly or lack of truth or it's the power of the devil working or they're doing false signs. Jesus said you can blaspheme the Father and be forgiven. 
You can blaspheme Jesus and be forgiven. But you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you can't be forgiven in this age or the age to come. Don't get the wires crossed. In electricity, it's very important. Red wire connected to red wire. <laughs> and we know it very carefully. You know, when I'm doing my jumper cables, make sure I get the jumper cables right. I'm telling you, don't get your wires crossed. Make up your mind who you're going to serve. Either you're going to use the name of the power of the Lord to do miracles in His name because it's holy and it's precious, or you go and you mock. In 2 Peter 3.3, 3, it says in the last days, they mock. They've always said that. We've never seen the power. Where's the sign of His coming? I'm mocking the Word of God. It's just not... And that mocking begins in the jury that is passed down through all the Bible. And that's where I'm going to say, repent. Repent. Thank the Lord, as long as we have breath in us, we have a chance to repent. Don't go the way of other young men. Don't let it come out your mouth. You bless the name of Jesus. I bless the name of Jesus. Bless the name of the Lord. I praise the name of the Lord. I repent. And then if they're doing it, say, Lord, I just ask you to forgive their sin in the name of Jesus. My dad just to their face would say, I forgive you in Jesus' name for using God's name in vain. And he'd just write to them, let them know, and, and they'd be taken aback by it. Because dad received a healing when this happened to him. He had just first gotten filled with the Lord, the Holy Spirit. He was so excited. But he didn't have his mouth cleaned up because he had been secular. He had been in the world. He was a, a tough man and he ran a business and he got frustrated like all men do. And then he hit his finger with a hammer. And he meant to say God's name in a not so good way. But when he hit his finger, he hit the nail and he said blood just started squirting up out of it. If you've ever hit your finger hard enough to just see the blood do like a fountain. And he was so shocked that what came out of his mouth was, praise you Jesus. And he knew he had been saved. His mouth had been saved. Some of you, your pocketbooks have to get saved. Your mouth has to get saved. He was so shocked that what came out of his mouth was he blessed the Lord. Praise you, Jesus. And he had done this. Because blood was squirting everywhere. And when he took his hand off his finger, his finger wasn't smashed. Everything had left. Where the blood was coming out, no bruising, nothing. It was a perfectly whole finger. And it scared him because the name of the Lord was in his mouth. The power of the name of the Lord. It started the miracle working power of my dad. That's why he could speak and, and tell death to go and life to come because his mouth suddenly was belonged to the Lord. You want the miracles? You want to see them? Then I would challenge you because your life is so important that in Ephesians 4.30 it says to say that the Holy Spirit grieves over us shows us that he has feelings. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed. Don't grieve him. Sure, don't blaspheme him. But don't make him grieve. Because sometimes I feel the Lord laughing. I'm funny. And sometimes he laughs. But it's sure not good when I don't feel his pleasure on me. It's not screaming loud. It's real sensitive in your spirit. Being sensitive to the Holy Spirit.
I would invite you, don't make God always deal with you in a heavy-handed way. Bold. God, if you want me to know something, just tell me. I'm inviting you right now to a very sensitive time with the Holy Spirit where you feel and go, uh-huh, uh-uh. Sensitive. You know, like that thing of, have you ever had a horse? There's a lot of power in a horse. And we had a, a mother horse, and my gosh, that horse tried to, I mean, that thing could, it was a race horse. It could run so fast that my brother and I would saddle it down and barely could stay on that horse. You know, that girl was hurt on it. But that horse had a colt that was a, a beautiful white stallion. And we broke the thing ourselves. And we'd ride him without a saddle. And I always think of that. You know, the older I get, the more impossible it seems to think that we could take a, a horse with that much horse flesh in it. It was bred to another champion sire. And yet, we did it the way that I'm telling you to do with the Holy Spirit. It was very sensitive. We could talk to him. We could use our hands. That's why I can go out. Sometimes I can speak to an animal. I can tell it what to do because it's a very sensitive realm of the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants you like that. He said a bit and a bridle is not made for humans. It's made for a horse and a mule. Don't be a mule. Don't get the, the whip of the chain. Be where God can literally put a hand on you, put pressure one way and you know to turn or whisper in your ear. Or just the feeling when to ride this white stallion as fast as we would ride him. And we would ride no saddle. It's a feeling of the horse and the rider being one. And that is you and the Lord, my friend. That is when you've developed that sensitivity in your spirit. And you can feel the Lord directing you. Go this way. Go that way. Speak to this person. This is what the Lord wants you to do. The Holy Spirit grieves over us when we rear up in our raw flesh. It shows that he has feelings. Thank goodness the feelings of the Holy Spirit is called comforter. So I would tell you, if he's called your comfort, your comforter, because all of us want to be comforted, don't grieve your comforter. <laughs> don't make it different for him than he's making it for you. And with that, I close my thoughts on mocking God. Amen.